Good to see all of you. Thanks for being here with us in worship today. And those that are joining us online, it's always great uh, to have you with us. We're concluding our series on prayer today. We're going to talk a little bit about <clears throat> the purpose of prayer. And I think all of us probably in some way um, have some preconceived idea of what prayer might be, or more specifically, what prayer is to us personally. But I want to kind of shift the focus. Last week, I challenged us to look at, <clears throat> look at prayer differently, <clears throat> to see it as something different, a shift in the paradigm about how we go before God in prayer. And today, I'm going to uh, take bits and pieces of the end of the Lord's Prayer and help us to walk through what I believe to be the purpose of prayer. Uh, you know, we've all been to that um, anticipated moment, right, in a sports game. Uh, we've, most of us who like football, we've, we've watched as, as teams have scored points. And, and if you're a real big fan of football, you've watched the Super Bowl. And at the end of the game, as, as kind of the, the, the players and people begin to just gather in one corner and they lift the Lombardi trophy, and you begin to see the praise and the, and the, um, the, the thanksgiving of what happened in that particular game. If you're a baseball fan, you probably have found that scenario about being in the bottom of the ninth inning. Your team needs one run to win, and somebody gets up to the plate. They smack a fastball right over the fence, and they do that uh, tributary trot around the bases, and, and kind of organically, everybody uh, empties out of the dugouts, and, and a huge celebration happens uh, without anybody's coaxing. If you're a hockey fan, then you've, you've seen that slap shot at the end where the buzzer goes off and the net gets riled and, and, and the place just goes nuts with the home team. You know, there's something about that organic gathering. There's something about that, that those moments when, when people are just thankful and giving praise about an event uh, that occurs in the lives or the event that is happening that we're excited about. You know, the scriptures talk to us about what the Bible has to say. In theology, we call that a doxology, okay? Say the word doxology. And doxology is, is, is a way in which we give praise and we give thanks. The word doxology comes from two particular Greek words, doxe, uh, which basically translates into um, an expression, and logos, which means a word or an expression. So, so a doxology is praising through an expression. And we see that through the Lord's Prayer, the word and the emphasis of doxology comes to be true. So when the writers of the scriptures basically adopted the saying of, of King David, they placed it at the end of what we call today the Lord's Prayer, and the churches have adopted that all throughout the centuries as kind of the way to buttress a doxology after the prayer that Jesus taught us, which is known as the Lord's Prayer. So when you, when you read the Lord's Prayer and you come and you see the doxology at the end, you begin to understand the exact words that Jesus meant when he led us and taught us how to pray. When we see that doxology, we understand what kind of name that Jesus has. We understand that it is to be the name above all names. When we understand what kind of kingdom he oversees and that, that his kingdom should be exalted. When we understand the perfection of his will to carry out its purposes. When we understand the words of the doxology, we understand that nothing comes to us by ourselves. But that God's hand is in all things and truly it is God to whom we give thanks for our daily bread. When we understand what these words mean, it means that, that we can understand how to forgive, but more importantly, how we can not only be a forgiven people, but forgive others in the way in which we want God to forgive us. 
we begin to understand all these things. So it's Jesus' understanding that when we say the Lord's Prayer, that we are doing something of great significance. And again, the writers of Scripture brought this to be with this doxology. What's the doxology I'm talking about? For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. You ever heard that? It's at the end of the Lord's Prayer, right? So this is what we want to talk about today. So, so what do these words mean, and how do, they, how do they lead us into a purpose of prayer? I want to specifically break down this doxology. For thine is the kingdom. Thine is the key word. He says that this is all about Jesus, that we are to focus our entire life on the kingdom of God, and that all the distractions, all the things that we want to chase that have come to us in the world, that that's not where our focus is. That we want, to, we want to focus on God's kingdom, God's provision, God's forgiveness, God's protection. And the whole prayer is designed to give thanks to God. The Lord's Prayer and this doxology is not about what we need to say or what we need out of prayer. But it's specifically designed to say that it's all about God and not all about us. Many of us, when we pray, we, we use a couple of pronouns, I, me, and my. Pronoun, right? Okay, good. Had to check with my English expert over here. I, me, and my. I mean, we find ourselves doing that, right? I, I find myself doing that. God, I need this. God, I want that. God, I hope for this. God, nudge that. God, change this. God, help that. I, I, I need, I need, I need, I want, I want. Or my need, my want, my desire, my heart's yearning. And we use those words, I, me, and my, in a lot of our prayer. And we're praying the focus isn't really on Jesus, but the focus is on us. And I think when Jesus instituted the words, when the disciples said, Lord, how are we supposed to pray? And Jesus said, pray it this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. So here, here's this focus. This focus is to give God the glory, to give God for his kingdom. For thine is the kingdom and, and the purpose of what comes with that. You see, some of us, we look at our prayer and we say, you know, I pray and I pray and I pray, but nothing ever seems to happen. And maybe it's because we, we find ourselves that our prayer life is weak and powerless because we're focusing on the wrong things. Because Jesus, didn't Jesus make it clear that when we pray, powerful things will happen? Didn't we see in the early church as Christians were first gathering together that as they prayed that mighty miracles were occurring? So we call upon and search for that power and that strength. Jesus said, praise God in his kingdom. And this is the second time then in this prayer that we see that word kingdom. He said, thy kingdom come. And we see here at the end in the doxology, um, thy kingdom in, in a sense of that. And Paul writes to the importance of that. And he says that the kingdom is the rule of God. So we need to keep that in focus. For thine is the kingdom. Keep this in focus. He says, for the earth is the Lord's and everything that's in it. Everything was created for the rule of God. And God is the ruler over all kingdom things. And that's what Jesus is talking about as he institutes the Lord's Prayer. You see, too often what happens is, is that many of us are 
say we're in the kingdom, but we're switching kingdoms. We wear the jersey of a Christian kingdom, but depending upon what life circumstances, we're switching kingdoms back and forth. We're following different kinds of things. And so the result is that we're living not of the true kingdom, but we're living in a kingdom of conflict because we're not sure where it is that we're supposed to be. You see, we have to recognize that God is our king, not in only what we say, not in only how we function, but also in what we do. And when we don't acknowledge God as our king in what we say and what we do and how we act and, and, and the way in which we present ourselves to the world, then we're putting into peril the blessing that comes from the Lord's prayer. For the Lord's prayer only works if God's kingdom is our concern. We have to make sure that we're not focused on our own return, that our, we're not focused on our own want, that we're not focused on our own purpose, our own management, our own status, our own position, but that we are in line with loving the true king of the kingdom, which is God. The greatest thing that you can say as part of your doxology is, God, when I wake up in the morning, I give my life to you. God, at this very moment, as I start this day, let it not be my life or not my will, but, but let it be your will. God, you know, may, may I decrease as you increase. God, may, may my desires not be, uh, not be what rules over me, but may your desires out-trump my desires. May your wants out-trump my wants. May your love and loyalty out-trump my love and loyalty. And we give our lives in that specific way. May my way become your way. The second thing that we learn in this prayer is, for thine is the kingdom, and he also says, for thine is the power. It says, the power. A lot of Christians give God position in their life, but they don't give God power in their life. They may say, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus, but they don't see the, the power of Jesus because they're wrestling with who really is in control of their life, who really is calling the shots of their day-to-day -day activity, who is really making the decisions of the life that they have. They'll give God position in their life, but they won't give God power. But God has to have the power in our life in order to effectively see the change that comes in life. Everywhere we read in the scriptures, every person whose life has changed is because that they tap into the power of God. They're not merely just saying they're a follower of Jesus, but they're living it in their actions and in their words and in their thoughts and how they treat people and the decisions that they make. Paul says, all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. So if you're not submitting to, to God's kingdom, then you're going to miss seeing God's power. If, you're, if your life isn't filled with the power of God, take a step back and ask yourself, how can I submit my life more to the kingdom of God? How can I submit my life and tap in to the power it's easy to say those words, God's first in my life. But when you really look at your life and you look at your priorities and you look at the decisions you make, do they really reflect that God is first in your life? Or is it just a great speech? Is it just words in which we give? There's no power in the words, God's first in my life. But there's power in the change and the transformation that people see in you because God is first in your life. The psalmist says, the heavens are yours and the earth is yours. Everything in the world is yours, for you created it all. God shows his power with those who are completely his. And those who choose to honor God will reflect and see the power of God in their daily life. Here's the third one. For thine is the kingdom, God is the power. 
and thine is the glory. Glory means to put something on display. Glory, glory means to highlight, to advertise it. Glory means to show something off. It means to brag about it. It means to, to put it out there. It means to say that this is so great, I want the world to see it. That's really what glory means. Thine is the glory. Now, some of you are going to get a little upset about something I'm going to say. And you might send me an email this week, and that's okay. I, I like all your emails. I answer all your emails. I appreciate your emails. And, and, I, and I appreciate the fact that, that we can have dialogue when, when you may not agree with something that I say. That's, that's good. It means we're, we're talking. It means we're growing. But, but the point is this, is God is not here for you, and he's not here for me. That's not the purpose of God, to be there for you and me. The psalmist says this, not for our sake, God, no, no not for our sake, but, but for your name's sake. Show your glory. Do it on account of your merciful love. Do it on account of your faithful ways. You see, as humans, we, we look at glory in, in, in one particular way. It's called ascribed glory. Say ascribed Ascribed glory. We look at our athletes. We put ascribed glory on our athletes because of the status that they hold, because of something that they've done. We glorify them. We lift them up. We venerate them. We put an ascribed authority or, or, or an ascribed glory upon them. If you walk into a court of law and a man or woman comes from behind the desk with a long black robe, that's to the judge. We ascribe glory to that person and call them your honor. If you get pulled over as you leave church today because you're trying to get to lunch too fast, and somebody walks up to your car and it's a police officer, you're going to ascribe glory upon them because the blue uniform that they wear is, is upholds the law. And you're going to call them yes sir or no ma'am or yes ma'am or no ma'am. But the point though is with ascribed glory, it, it, it's, it's seasonal, it's eventful. It, it comes and it goes. You take the robes off of the judge, you take the blue uniform off of off of the police officer, you take the athlete off of the playing field and no longer do we glorify them. So God doesn't have ascribed glory. God has intrinsic glory, intrinsic glory and intrinsic authority. Just like uh, um, wet is to water and hot is to fire and blue is to sky, it's intrinsic glory. You can't separate that. There, no matter what you do, it's always constant. It's there. God's glory is intrinsic, which means that even if no one glorified him, God can glorify himself and God can continue to exist God doesn't need us, but God chooses to be in relationship with us. His glory is intrinsic to his being, and because God created us for his glory, um, that's why Isaiah said these words, bring all who claim me as their God, for I have made them for my glory. It was I who created them. You see, we have to be to God what the moon is to the sun. The moon reflects the light of the sun. The moon cannot hold on to all of the sun's light. It just can't do that. But the moon is designed to receive the light of the sun and to reflect it back toward the sun. Just like you and I, our job is to reflect the glory of God upon us, but we can't hold on to it. But we reflect that glory back to God so that the world knows the glory of God and, and the importance that comes with that. Ascribe to the Lord, the psalmist says, you heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. You see, God is only going to be as big as you want to see God to be. If you, don't, if you want to see God as something big, then God will be big in your life. If you want to see God as something small in your life, God will be something small in your life. 
For those of us who are trying to figure out how do we make God bigger in our life, how do you make something bigger? You do it one of two ways. You either magnify it or you draw closer to it. And in those two ways, we either magnify God or we draw closer to God. And in that, his glory becomes prevailing in all ways. The end of the prayer contains a very important word as well. It's the word forever. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. It talks about the reign of God. That God's reign doesn't have a beginning and an end, but God's reign is eternal. It's, it's infinite. It goes on and on and on. But too often we get confused and we say that, that we're just kind of working our way to heaven so that when the day comes that we die, that we'll be with God then. But, but the point is, Jesus said the kingdom of God is now. That we're to be engaged in the work of God now. That we're not supposed to be waiting. And that we are to be a part of God's, God's plan. And, and the church is too. Isaiah says, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. So we have to live into that, and we have to ascribe the glory that comes to God. Let me share with you this quick example. So let's say that the President of the United States wants to visit our town. In order for that visit to happen, there are too many, or there are so many logistical things that have to be done. People have to plan the itinerary. People have to make sure that when the president gets on Air Force One, that he or she is, is comfortable, that every whim and care that they have uh, is, is, is made for and, and is, it is detailed out. And, and all of a sudden, we find out that all of that time, all that effort, we put all of that into a human being who is here one day and gone tomorrow. And think about that for a second. You know, presidents have power, but, but presidents can't give the world water. They can't manufacture water. Presidents can't manufacture the air that we breathe in our lungs. Presidents can't feed us um, in infinitum. Presidents can't answer our prayers. So if we put all of that authority and glory into venerating a person, can you imagine what we should be doing to give God the glory who gives us all the things that I just described? God's purpose is huge for our life. And God is the King of kings and he's the Lord of lords. And, and Jesus says that we're to give God the glory amongst all things. But here's the last thing. At the end of the prayer is the word amen. For thine is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever. Amen. Amen is important. Amen means so let it be. Amen translates to mean um, basically that so be it, I got it. It means it will be done. It means my affirmation is exactly what I say. So we should not say amen to anything unless we're going to be all in on something. We should not be saying amen unless we are fully invested in what it is that we're saying amen to. We can't be half in and half out and say amen to something because that's against what the word amen means. Because once you say amen, you're saying, I agree, I'm all in. You can bank on me, God. You can trust me that I will be there and I will make it happen. And see, God is looking for people who will give him the praise. We spend a lot of time saying, what's worship gonna be like and which songs are we gonna pick? You can be silent in worship, but you can't be silent giving praise. And God says that the praise, that God inhabits the praises of his people, uh, the scripture says. We can worship God and we can declare his glory. 
When we're giving God the praise, we can say things like, when I'm healthy, I can give God praise. When I'm sick, I can give God praise. When I have nothing, I can praise God. When I have everything that I need, I can praise God. When I am in a relationship that is loving and caring, I can praise God. When I am in a, not in a relationship and I'm searching for someone, I'm feeling empty, I can still praise God. When I see life and all the downfalls that it comes, I can praise God. When I'm on top of the mountain and I see and I'm just excited about what life can be, I can praise God. God is to be praised in all things. And in all things, we are called to give our God praise. Amen? And when we see that, we see the words of Jesus coming true in the Lord's Prayer. And we see the importance of this doxology. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen and amen.